Thank you, Matthew. Uh, if you are a student at one of our churches, either here or within our network, we would love for you to consider the summer intensive. Also, if you're a recent grad, you can jump into that as well. And we really think that it'll be an awesome way to help us connect and push into all that God is doing in this season. It's a new thing, but it's something that we're really excited about. So if you're back home with your family or you're in whatever city your church is in, either way, we'd love for you to jump in. You know, I'm excited today as we are uh, gathered both in person and online to launch a new series that we're calling Be the Church. And we're excited to start this series during this season because we think that it's really fitting, even as we've started to slowly gather back together and continue to do things online, to not just talk about what it looks like to gather together as a church, but what it looks like to actually be the church. And I think it's a, a interesting question to start off this series with and ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear that word church? You know, what kind of picture pops into your head when you hear that word church? I think a lot of times, uh, much of our perception of church comes to maybe the way that we were raised or maybe the way that we grew up. I know for me, I grew up going to church pretty regularly. And uh, the, the church I went to, especially when I was younger, it was this small little country church uh, outside the city. And it, it was kind of like this, this place that, that you, would, you would see, uh, you know, on pictures. It was a, a church with a steeple and it had a bell tower. And, and one of the things I remember about that experience growing up in this church is that there were rules within that church. That's not a bad thing, right? You, you need to have rules sometimes uh, within a church. And I have a lot of great, really fond memories. But I, I remember thinking through some of those rules as I was picturing back what really is church. I remember some of the rules, like one of them was you can't have a hat on when you're in church. Because when, when you're in church, you're in, and some of our people have hats here. So that's obviously not a rule that we have, but that was a rule that, that they had, and it was it was this like belief that that you know you're in God's house, and so uh, that's that's just something that that we didn't do. There was another rule that was that was you can't run within the church, you know, because I don't know, I guess God doesn't like running or something. Um, but but you, you weren't supposed to to move too fast. Of course, you couldn't say certain words within the church. There were there are all these different kind of rules that that, that we had and that, that my parents had that you do these certain things when you're in church, and you do other things when you're out of church, but this is how you're supposed to act when you're in church. And, and I think just because of the way that I thought, that kind of led me to this belief that, that the church is kind of like a building. You know, that, that when I thought of church, I would think of a building. And so I wonder about you. What do you think of when you think of that word church? You know, if you look up the word church in, in the dictionary, one of the first definitions that, that you'll see is a, a public building for Christian worship. You know, that's one of the first things that you'll see within the dictionary if you look it up. And, and so maybe others of us would say, well, no, you know, I, I've never had the perception of the church just being a building. But some of us, we think of church and we think of it's a place that you go to gather, a place that you go to, to congregate. And, and you hear some guy like me stand up and, and talk about the Bible every week and you sing some songs and then you go on with the rest of your life. Or, or, and maybe some of us, uh, even who are joining us online, or, and maybe some of us even here, we're a little bit more more skeptical of that word church for whatever reasons through the experiences that we've had and, and so maybe some of us think well church is just kind of like a social club you know something that people go a place that people go to to make some friends and it's not really that big of a deal some of us may even be really skeptical and, and we, we may think that church is like this institution that's used to kind of keep people 
in check. You know, there's lots of different opinions and preconceived notions around that word church. I wonder about for you, what do you think of when you hear the word church? We're starting this series and we're calling it Be the Church. And and so here's kind of the big idea today. It's probably a big idea for this whole series and we're going to kind of discover it together as we play it out. But the big idea is this, that the church Church isn't just something that we go to. Church is something that we are. Church isn't just a place that we go to. It's not just a building that we go to. It's not just an institution. Church is sometimes those things, but it's even more than that. The church is something that all of us who are followers of Jesus, who are united with Christ, are part of his family. The church is the family of God, and the church is something that we are. You know, I want to do um, something just really quick as we start off this series and we head into to talking about Be the Church because it's going to take us through this whole summer. I want to do uh, a little bit of ecclesiology. Okay, I like using big words because it makes me sound smart. And uh, ecclesiology is something that you study when you go to seminary, and it is simply the study of the church, ecclesiology, it comes from that Greek word, uh, ecclesia, which is church, ology, study of. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. And, and all throughout the, the pages of Scripture, there's books written about this. And I'm going to do about 37 seconds to just help us get a, a concept. But all throughout the pages of Scripture, uh, the church is talked about in, in really two primary ways. The church is talked about as a local institution. And that's where, you know, H2O is a local church, right? And in the, in the New Testament, there was a church in Ephesus, and, and there was a church in Philippi. Those were local churches, and there was order that was to exist within the local churches, and there were roles that would exist, like pastors and elders and deacons. And, and sometimes now, you know, churches have physical uh, assets and tangible, you know, buildings or vehicles, and, and those are all owned by a, a local church. And the cool thing about the local church is Every believer, every follower of Jesus is called and invited to be part of a local family uh, of God. And you get to experience the the fullness of life when you get to be a part of the local church. It's a beautiful thing. But oftentimes in Scripture, we weren't just told about the, the local church. There's this other form of church. It's called the universal church. And the universal church is different than the local church. It's related to the local church. But the universal church is all believers everywhere who are called to live out the mission of God. It's like the global church. It's all of us who are followers of Jesus, partnering together with Jesus on mission with him wherever they are. Sometimes theologians refer to those two different types of churches as the visible church. Like you can actually see it because people are gathered in a specific place. And the invisible church. Because you can't necessarily see the universal church. You can't necessarily see what's happening in the hearts and the minds of every single believer. But when Jesus talked about the church, he usually was actually talking about the the universal church. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will what? He says, "I, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus wasn't talking about a local church there. Jesus wasn't saying, like, I will build a synagogue, and the gates of hell won't overcome it, or I'll build a building, and it'll be here 5,000 years later or 2,000 years later. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was talking about this reality of, I will build this group of believers. 
I will build this family of God. I will build this body that, that may not even be all that visible, but will be united with God to bring the hope and love of the gospel to the world all around us. And so when we say be the church, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the church that Jesus said the gates of hell won't ever overcome. When we say be the church, we get to partner with God in bringing the mission of Jesus to this lost and broken world. And that happens on a local level, but it happens on a universal level as well. And so throughout this series, as we talk about what it looks like to be the church, we will oftentimes not necessarily just be talking about what do we do when we gather together or, or, or what are the formats of our church or what are our bylaws look like. That's not what this series is about at all. We're talking about what it looks like to be scattered among the world that God has called us to and what it looks like to be partnered with God. And one of the primary ways that Jesus and into the, into the epistles in the New Testament that were written to local churches, one of the primary ways that we're informed as to what it looks like to be the church is we're given these one another commands. Throughout the pages of Scripture, there's about a hundred different times where either Jesus or Paul or one of the New Testament authors, they will say this phrase, one another. I want you to love one another. I want you to bear one another's burdens. I want you to encourage one another. There are 59 different about one another commands that are given throughout the pages of the New Testament. And that phrase is said about 100 times. So 59 different commands, it's said about 100 different times. And, and the, the purpose of those statements are to give us kind of a guide as to what it looks like to be the church. And so this summer, as we're going through this series, we're going to talk about these one another commands and how we can partner with God and show the world his deep, deep care and love for us. And so today, as we start off this series, Be the Church, and we look at these one another commands or encouragements or statements, we're going to look at the first, and I would venture to say the most important, and it's really the main category, and all the other ones kind of fall underneath this one. We're going to look at this command that Jesus gives us to love one another. To love one another. And, and I think that it's fitting this week with all that our, our world is going through that we talk about love and what it looks like to love one another. It, it's, it's, it's something that, that sounds so simple and sounds so easy. And yet if we would just really do it, man, the world would be transformed in such amazing transformative ways. So let's open up the pages of Scripture together. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture where we're told to love one another, and we're going to start in John chapter 13 where Jesus actually gives us this first one another command, John chapter 13. We talked about the beginning of John chapter 13 a couple weeks ago where Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, so he, he is setting the example for what it looks like to be a follower of his. This is just a couple nights before he is about to be crucified. It's in the upper room. In John chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 34. Jesus gives us this command to love one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus, he says this. He says, a new command I give you. Now, I just want to stop right there, okay, real quick. Because Jesus says, this is a new command. And, and I think that that's really important for those of us 2,000 years later to take note of. 
Because when we hear that phrase, love one another, I know, church is supposed to be about love, you know, God is love. You know, for us, it's something that we, we probably heard at least on some level, even if we've never really went to church before or anything like that. We know that we are supposed to love one another. But Jesus says, listen, this is brand new. And so as you're sitting in the upper room, you, you should picture like the, the, the air being sucked out of that room. Jesus says, I'm about to give a new command. And so everybody should lean in a little bit, right? And you, you get your notebook out to start taking notes because Jesus is about to tell us something new. And it also tells us something else about Jesus, right? Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I'm going to give you disciples and in turn the rest of the world a new command, a new commandment. Okay, that's a pretty massive statement. If you've ever wondered who Jesus thought that he was, look at this passage. It says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, if I stood up here and said, hey, I'm going to give you a, an 11th commandment. You know, there's 10 of them. Uh, Brian Wiles thinks that, that there should be 11, so I'm going to give you a new command, everybody. You would say, this guy's a little bit off his rocker. You shouldn't be giving commandments out. There's only one who can give commandments out. It's God, right? I mean, he's the one who makes laws. He's the one who, who gives us morality. And so only God can truly, authoritatively give a new command. And here Jesus says, I'm about to give a new command. So Jesus is affirming his very own deity that he is, in fact, God. He says, a new commandment I give you. And then he says the phrase. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must Love one another. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you do what? You love one another. You know, Jesus gives this new command, and, and it's so profound, and it is so radical that it would have completely blown the minds of the people that heard that. Earlier in Jesus' ministry career, he started talking about this idea of love. That In that world, it just would not have resonated the way that it resonates with us right now. It was a, a world that was, that was based on, on justice. It was a world that was sometimes based on cruelty. And so the idea of love would not have meshed that well with them. And Jesus started saying things like he would tell the story of the Good Samaritan, and he would talk about love. And then he, he would talk about the golden rule, you know, love others as you love yourself. And Jesus says, listen... The golden rule is a starting place maybe, but I'm going to give you a new command. And it's even harder to follow and even greater and even more important than the golden rule. I'm going to give you a new command that I want you to love one another. But I don't want you to just love people the way that you would want to be loved. I want you to love people in a love that is so based on my love that the world will see me when you love them. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. And so Jesus is saying, there is this deep passion that I have for the people that I've created, so much so that I want you to love the world around you. And when you're transformed by my love, when you're completely made new by my love, it will flow out into your relationships with other people. We've said it like this before, that the vertical relationship that we have with God will always, if we really are connecting with God, will always flow out into the horizontal relationships that we have with one another. That's just the way that God designed us to live in this world. And we've talked a lot in 2020 about these rhythms, about this vertical relationship of get alone with God, read your Bible, pray, spend time with God. And that is so massively important. 
But if we're not careful, sometimes we turn that into, it's just me and Jesus, just the two of us, that's all I need. And what Jesus is saying here is, to actually follow me, yeah, it's about the two of us, but if you're truly connected to him, then it flows out into the people around you as well. So yes, it is you and him, but it's you and him so that you can go out and love the world around you in a way that is supernatural, a love that you don't have the ability to give or to do on your own. Jesus did something that was really profound in this statement. And, it, and it, he actually did something that's, that's kind of tricky because he said, I'm going to give you a new command. I'm going to give you a new commandment. And, and, and I guess in some ways he did, but, but really what he did is he just fulfilled all the other ones. He just lumped up every other command and he put it into one, just simply love. And if you think about all the other commandments, all the other rules, if we just loved one another, everything else would actually take care of itself. Jesus, he knew the conditions of our hearts and he knew that love would be the only answer that could ever bring actual change to this world. I have a real quick um, example, real quick. I guess it's almost kind of something that, you know, I don't know if I really want it to be public, so we'll just keep it between us and everybody on the internet. Okay, um, I am not a rule follower at all. I, I, I'm terrible at following rules. I, I am so bad at following rules. In fact, if you give me a rule, I can probably find a way to break it and justify it in a pretty good way, to be real honest with you, because that's what rule breakers do. You know, that's why I have a number of speeding tickets, you know, because in my mind, when, when I'm driving down the road, the, the speed limits are, are really just there, you know, for safety, of course, which they should be. And so in my mind, if I can go faster than it and I'm still safe, I'm not really speeding, you know? Like that rule wasn't for me. That rule is for the people who can't drive that fast and be safe, but I can be safe, so uh, it's okay. I can do it. Now, the police officers who pulled me over haven't agreed with that standpoint, but that is, is my, my take on rules oftentimes. And I think as, as humans, we, we kind of have that same mentality sometimes, don't we? If you're a parent, you know that your kids usually function that way. If I tell my kids bedtime is 10 o'clock, they'll still be sitting on the couch at 10 o'clock. I guarantee you that. And then I'll say, why aren't you in bed? And they'll say, well, I thought what you meant was I should start thinking about maybe going to bed around this time. As, as humans, if you give us a rule, we will usually find a way to break it. And so I, I think that Jesus and his deity was pretty wise in saying, I'm not going to give you another commandment and tell you exactly what to do because you'll probably find a way to break it. We found a way to break all the Ten Commandments, haven't we? It's pretty, and sometimes you can even justify it in your own minds and make it seem like it was a good thing. So Jesus says, listen, I'm just going to give you one. It's a new one. Just love each other. Just love each other the way that I have loved you. And if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. Because uh, why shouldn't you steal? Well, you shouldn't steal from somebody because you're not loving them when you take their stuff. Why shouldn't you commit adultery? Because you're not loving that person or their spouse when you, when you engage in that type of relationship. And the list can go on and on and on, right? Jesus says, love one another. That's the commandment I give you. That's all you need is to love 
one another. And then John, I want to read this last passage. He, he kind of sums it up like this. John wrote John 13. He also wrote three books at the end of the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And in 1 John, he talks a ton about love. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Check this out, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to do what? Love one another. No one has ever seen God, John says. It's a problem, right? No one has ever seen God. I want to believe in God, but I just can't see him. I want to believe in God, but I just don't know where he is. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete where? In us. The church. His people. No one has ever seen God. That's the problem that our world is wrestling with. Is he real or not? No one has ever seen him. But when and if we love one another, that is when people will see God. That's how people see God. That's how we get to partner with God and be in the church. We get the privilege of making an invisible God visible to the world around us. That's the church. That's what we get to do. We get to be part of this reconciliation process where we get to help people unite with the God of the universe. It's been said before that, that love, it, it, it's, a, it's a verb, not just a noun. It's, it's not just a feeling that we get. Oh, I kinda, I, I, you know, Jesus isn't just saying, like, have good feelings about your neighbors. Have good feelings about one another. Jesus is saying, love one another. Take action towards one another. Care for one another. And all these one another's that we're going to go through throughout these summers, uh, the rest of the summer, is us actually acting on this first and this greatest commandment to love one another in the way that God has loved us. You know, as we, we think about what it looks like to take action on love. Again, this week has been such a, a heavy and a hard week. And one of the ways we can take action in love is to actually speak up for those who can't speak for themselves sometimes. To use our privilege and our platforms to speak love into the world. And so even as we stand here today, you know, in our, our world, and our country, it seems like it's in chaos at times. We stand here and we say what happened at the beginning of, of this week with George Floyd and, and his killing is horrible. It's hideous, and we, we can't allow it, and we have to stand against it. And as a church, we've said it before, and we'll say it until it is finally over with someday, that, that racism it, it is a terrible thing, that it is an affront to the humanity that God created all of us to live in. God created every single one of us in his image. And so when we partake in any form of discrimination or racism, we are, in a way, we are denying the gospel that God created us to live out. And racism isn't only an affront to humanity, it's an affront to God. 
Because God created us all in his image and in his love. And so we stand united with thousands of other churches who say it is completely wrong. And we cannot stand for it. And we have to use our voice against it. And there's been so much hurt. And there's been so much pain. And now we see images on the news of violence and more hurt and more pain heaped on top of what is already going on. And as we see it all unfold, I don't know about you, but sometimes I watch what's going on and I just think, there's not much hope. (laughs) It doesn't feel like there is much hope at all. Feels like sometimes we live in a world that's full of hate and full of fear and full of sin and full of violence and full of indifference. And yet, we look at the words of Jesus and we confess that that without him there truly isn't much help. Without him there really isn't much hope. And I think that's why sometimes people turn to to violence as as a a method to try to get some change going because the, the, the gospel is our true only hope. And if we don't understand it, it leads us to paths that don't take us to the right place. And so we stand up for those who can't speak and we choose love. We choose to love one another. Jesus calls us to be different. He calls us to stand out. He calls us to make his love known to the world around us. Part of the calling of the church, and that's part of being the church. So this summer, let's understand how we can do that together. And even right now, as a church, let's search our own hearts. Let's search our own actions and say, how can we be part of bringing this love of the gospel of loving one another to the world around us. You know, even later this week, we're going to have some of our staff do kind of a a roundtable as we're going to be talking about uh, the the racism that we've seen unfold in our country and talking about what our response should be. We want to give a little bit more time to that. And and our hope and our prayer is that we can be part of the solution of bringing the gospel, bringing the love and the peace of Jesus to our world. It's our, our only hope. So as I wrap up, I just want to pray. I want to pray for our church. I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for those who are hurting. I want to pray for those who are serving. I want to pray for our world, that we would live out these verses, that we would love one another, because it's our our only hope. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me.